like that. You want to try that. Hello, everyone, and welcome to it's this like Friday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Oh my goodness, we are here. We are here, ladies and gentlemen. If you did not know this, I am recording this on Thursday, September eighth. So, what I am about to witness and what you guys already know to be true, we are. I, I the first game of the NFL season is finally here. The Buffalo Bills taking on the Los Angeles Rams in a potential Super Bowl preview. And I saw this on Twitter and I thought it was kind of funny, so I'd share it here. This is the first time in NFL history the defending Super Bowl champs are playing the next Super Bowl champs in week one to start the season off. The first game of the NFL season, I cannot wait. I cannot wait. I've got a few hours before the game starts, but again, you guys already know what happens. So be nice. If the Bills lost, be nice. If the Bills won. Be nice. <laughs> Try to be as nice as you can. But we got other stuff to go on too. We got other crazy stuff. We got Iowa State this weekend. So this weekend, this the rest of this weekend, the rest of the week could be a very, very good week, a good week, or an absolutely atrocious week for yours truly. If the Hawkeyes end up losing to Iowa State and the Bills end up losing to the Rams, it would be an absolute travesty. And I think it's kind of interesting thing, like Sean McVay and Les Snead, the GM and the head coach of Los Angeles Rams, both got extensions today. So congratulations to those two. Not, don't care. You guys are public enemy number one today. So that's cool. I'm not very surprised. The thing is, I saw this today as well. Sean McVay has never been under 500 with the Los Angeles Rams since he's been the head coach. This is the first time that it like there is a really good, really solid chance that he goes below 500. They are five and zero, obviously, in their last five opening season games, which is when he's been the head coach of the team. I remember when Jeff Fisher was there. I believe they played the 49ers week one, and Jared Goff was <laughs> was on the sideline, not even in uniform, like he was just in street clothes and stuff. But it's an opportunity for the Bills to create history, to knock off the defending Super Bowl champions. To become the best team in the NFL in the same breath because they'll be the only one and O team in the NFL. And you give Sean McVay his first losing record of his entire head coaching career, which is something to brag about. The same day he gets an extension as well. Maybe he'll be like those NFL, you know, every time they have like those NFL players that have like in a contract year and then once the contract year's up and they've signed their contract and everything, they don't start playing as well. So everybody's like, oh, he was just playing well for the money. Maybe that's the situation here. Maybe Sean McVay and Les Snead were trying to get up to this contract and just, you know, go towards the end of it. Maybe it doesn't work out for him tonight. And if it does, I'll look like an idiot. But as a fan of one of the teams involved, not named the Los Angeles Rams, I am entitled to feel positive about this game. And again, this is a few hours before. It's a few hours before the game. So if I was recording this after, I might, if the Bills lost, I might not have even recorded after, which is why I'm doing it before, because I'll be in a positive mood. I'm ready for football to start. And I don't know the result of the game. So I'm like in that infant stage of the NFL season recording a show. But before we get into we're going to start with Iowa State here in a little bit. But before we get into that, I want to make sure to go over a couple housekeeping items. Make sure you're following the Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Twitter is Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram account is Blackman Logan with the show's Instagram account being the Logan Blackman Show 1. Facebook and YouTube, search Logan Blackman Show. They will pop up. Make sure you follow, subscribe, do whatever on those. And since you're listening to it right now, you might as well check and make sure you're subscribed and leave a rating out of five stars as well on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave a description down below on why you feel the way you do. Now, let's get into the game of the week. Really, uh, I go. it's the second game, but I've got, I guess we're going to try and do our NFL preview. We'll get into that a little bit. But Iowa State, this is 
the game in the state of Iowa for most of my life. And I'm going to like, I was, I almost said adult life. Most of my life, this game has meant little to nothing to like, it, it was a kind of a lose, lose situation for Iowa in the past where if you beat Iowa state, yeah, you're supposed to beat Iowa state, but if you lose to Iowa state, Oh my God, you, you lost to Iowa state. Like the year they went to the orange bowl and got blasted by Carson Palmer and USC. Their one loss, the one game that kept them out of the national championship game that season against Miami in the Fiesta Bowl was a loss to Iowa State. The only game, the only game. And when you're lost to Iowa State, that derails every single thing that you had going. Like Brad Banks did get a Heisman that year, and Iowa went to the Orange Bowl. Now, would the outcome have been different if Iowa did not lose to Iowa State? Let's say they beat Iowa State and go have a perfect regular season. Do they go on to beat the Miami Hurricanes in the national championship game? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure because Miami had a stacked team. And I believe Ohio State was the team that won the national championship on some controversial controversial pass interference call in the end zone. Miami celebrated. <laughs> and uh, it turns out, uh, no, that's coming back. And uh, Ohio State ended up winning the game. Pretty impressive stuff right there. But games like the Iowa State-Iowa game, like Iowa State back when I was a kid, back when I was growing up, Iowa State, their best seasons were like 7-5. and five. Like, they had one good year with Seneca Wallace, and then it was like either they're going 3-9 and nine or 4-8 and eight or 6-6 six and six and 7-5. and five. Somewhere in there. There's really no middle ground. The Gene Chizik era, the Paul Rhodes era, like the only thing that kept Paul Rhodes in the job at Iowa State for as long as he was was the fact that he beat Iowa, which is something weirdly, given, the, given how people view the two coaches, and I think one coach is severely above the other in this respect, the fact that Matt Campbell has not beaten Iowa is kind of crazy when you think Paul Rhodes was able to do that. Paul Rhodes. The, I'm so excited to be your coach guy when they beat Nebraska, which was an awesome game. I was at an Iowa game when that game took place, Iowa State versus Nebraska. Was it 6-9 to nine was the final LOL, I think? I can't remember. One of my friends sent it in the group chat, in fan, our fantasy football group chat, and I don't remember what the score was in that game. But that was the, I'm so excited, I'm so proud to be your coach. That awesome little blip there. But up until recently, Iowa State was never really seen as a a real threat to Iowa. I don't know how many times. I could probably count my my hand, one hand, the number of times Iowa State was record-wise better than Iowa in a season. Now, that might be harsh. I don't know if it's actually correct or not. But Iowa has been below 500 in games that are in the 21st century, I think twice. Were they below 500 in 2000? Because that was the year before Brad Banks. Brad Banks came in in 2001. Were they below five? Because I know they were really bad when Kirk Ferentz got there. They were really bad. And then they had the 4-8 and eight season, which is what we talked about, I think, on Monday's show. Iowa going 4-8, James Vandenberg playing every single snap of that season. Yada, yada, yada. You heard it all before. That's really... And then they had the 6-6 six and six season with Jake Christensen when they lost to Western Michigan on senior day. But other than that, I don't really remember a lot of times Iowa State was record-wise better than Iowa. They might have beaten Iowa that year, but as a full team, it was not seen like, oh, Iowa State should ever really be beating Iowa. And that might be that might come off as mean. I don't care. I mean, that's just how that was how it was. And Iowa State fans, I, just because we've been bashing them for not the fans, the school and the team, since we've been bashing them, I had to say, when Iowa State was going through all that stuff, like even when Troy Davis was a Heisman finalist, they were terrible. Like Iowa State has never really put forth, until recently, a quality football program. They've never really had one. So I give a ton of credit to Iowa State and their fans for sticking with the Cyclones throughout those rough periods. 
back when Jack Trice had four hills that you could sit on. Now they only got two, which I really liked sitting on the hills at Jack Trice Stadium. And the few times I went to Jack Trice, I think twice I sat on the hill. By the, it's not there. The, uh, is the hill there? I think the hill's still there. It's by the, the uh, what do you call that? By Megatron, by the, the scoreboard on the opposite end of the tunnel. Because I remember when they used to run out of that building that sits right underneath Megatron. <laughs> and they ran and they put the smoke there. And they ran into the, the field goal post. But one thing that's always bothered me about Jack Trice, and I never really understood this, that Iowa State comes in on the press box side. They run on the field from the press box side. And then their sideline and student section are on the opposite side. So the teams pretty much cross each other when they're going on the field. It's I don't know how weird that is, but I've always thought about that. Why is Iowa State student section and the team line up on the opposite side of the press box? Usually the press box is where the teams line up. Usually. I, I mean, I'm not you. I don't I don't know. Maybe an Iowa State person can help me figure out this information. But when I was on the hill, I, <laughs> I got shoulder checked when I was in high school by an Iowa State student. And I'll always remember that because I thought that was really funny. Because it was you and I, Iowa State. It wasn't even Iowa, Iowa State at the time. <laughs> and I just went there for fun. Iowa just beat who they play week one that year. Because it was a night game. Aaron Bailey was the quarterback. Aaron Bailey and Sawyer Cole Morgan were the quarterbacks for you and I. And I think that was the first year of the enclosed end zone. I think. I think that's right when they put that thing up. I think it was the first game. You and I, Iowa State. Who the hell did Iowa play that year? I feel like they – was it Miami, Ohio – when that happened, Miami, I think Miami of Ohio, because I think Brett Gabbert was the starting quarterback. I think he still is the starting quarterback of Miami of Ohio. Is that possible? Who was okay? That had that was 2015 season. That was 2015 because it was my senior year of high school. Who did Iowa play in 2015? 2015-16 season, Illinois State. Illinois State. Yeah, 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 yeah. I knew it was a red and white team, but I couldn't remember who it was, and I remember them not playing very well. They won 34 to 14, but it was kind of a similar situation to some of the games we had this week where I don't know, they didn't look great, but they ended up winning. It wasn't as bad as what we saw on Saturday for Iowa in that respect. But like Clemson, Georgia Tech, kind of similar to that. But Illinois State was never in quote unquote in the game. But it just Iowa just didn't play very well. They didn't play very well in this game. But then Iowa State played U and I. I don't remember the score of that. I think Iowa State did take it to U and I, if I'm remembering correctly. I know you. I know Iowa State won. Yeah, thirty-one-seven was the final scores there. Sam B. Richardson. I loved that they did that because they had another Sam Richardson on defense. Sam B. Richardson, two touchdowns in the game. Aaron Bailey went for one hundred fourteen and a touchdown. Also had eighty-five yards on the ground. Eli Dunn. He was a quarterback when I was up at U and I for a little bit. Sawyer Cole Morgan was there as well. Went five for six. Who else was there from U and I? That is, uh, Darius Fontaine plays in the NFL. Bounced around a bunch of different teams. Alan Lazard, you might be aware of them. I don't know if you're aware of them or not. <laughs> uh, but that I, I think that was the first game of the enclosed end zone. I could be completely wrong about that. But yeah. Then the next week, oh no, it's Iowa beat Iowa State. I think that was the first year <laughs> Iowa started this unbeaten streak against Iowa State. It's been a it's been a really rough time. For Iowa State, and I've seen a lot of things on Twitter recently because I got I went to Johnston. There's a lot of people that are from Iowa State that are Iowa State fans that went to Johnston. Hell, a kid I went to high school with, their name is on the practice facility, the Bergstrom practice facility. 
So like Iowa State, Johnston is really an Iowa State school. So I see a lot of Iowa State things on my social media feeds, and it's like I saw one that said it doesn't matter how good Iowa plays or how bad Iowa's offense is, they're still going to somehow win. Because that was kind of the situation last year. I remember Peters had the best throw of his career at the point to Charlie Jones, I believe. And that, like, Iowa's offense did not really play that great. But they killed Iowa State. That scoreline was a lot more flattering to Iowa State than what it should have been. Kirk Ferentz took his foot off the gas, which he's shown his age. He's starting to get soft in his old age, start crying more. You know, they're getting all that stuff. Getting all that kind of stuff there. But, yeah, Iowa State, fun game. And I, I like it more now than when I was a kid. Not necessarily in the, the whole, like, trash-talking thing anymore. Not really into that as much. Like, when I was a kid, I hated everything with Iowa State. Hated everything, which is weird because Iowa State's more competitive with Iowa now, records-wise and bowl-game-wise, than they were when I was a kid, which is probably why I hated them as much because you just didn't want to lose to them. It was hell. And now I think it also helps that I don't see these people every day. Going to, not being in school anymore, having to go watch Iowa State on Saturday, watch Iowa lose, and then go to school Monday morning and try to deal with this at 7.30 in the morning to get ready for your 8 a.m. class, I still don't know how anybody did it. Like, I drive past the high school every once in a while, and I go, how did I? I could never do that now. I could not even fathom going to high school now and going through an eight-period day. Like, college kids, they don't know what I'm talking about. It's hard to get through a three-period day, let alone an eight-period day. You can't even leave. Unless you skipped class, which I never skipped a class till my senior year of high school. I remember one time I was driving, I left the high school, because we it was we were seniors and we had off periods. You had free periods of seniors. And I'm driving down 62nd Street, and then I see my sister, who was a sophomore at the time, driving the opposite direction with no free period. <laughs> uh high school, high school, high school. But that was always one of the big fears. Iowa State week, getting back to school on that Monday and having to deal with that. If you're an Iowa or Iowa State fan and having to deal with either Iowa or Iowa State winning, that was brutal. And I think not seeing my friends that are a lot of, I have a few friends that I still see a lot that are Iowa State fans, but most of them are Iowa fans. Like I, we talked about our fantasy football group chat. I think over half the people in the group chat are about. I think there's five Iowa State fans, four Iowa fans, and one Arkansas fan. <laughs> I think that's how it's how it's organized. So more Iowa State fans in there, but I don't see them. I see Ryan, the Arkansas fan, but I don't see the other ones that often. I see Spencer. I'll see Jake, but they're Iowa fans. I don't see any of the Iowa State fans often. Maybe that's kind of lessened my quote unquote hatred. For Iowa State. But we'll see if that reignites on Saturday. Because my friend Brady, his girlfriend, is a big Iowa State. <laughs> big time Iowa State person. Big time Iowa State fan. I went down to Winterset, Iowa. Which is where she's from. It was me, Brady, and his girlfriend, Carly. And they had a giant ass bus. Painted in Iowa State colors. I don't remember what the specific... There was a specific title this bus had. And I don't remember what it was called at all. But everybody there was wearing red and Iowa State colors. I wore red. No Iowa State, but I didn't want to get beat up because I knew where I was going was all Iowa State fans. I knew I was going to be the only Iowa fan there, so might as well not let, might as well not suffer the entire day. Now, if it was game day, oh, yeah, we're wearing Iowa stuff. But just in the, like, it wasn't football season. It was about, what, two months ago probably? 
When was the art festival in Des Moines? That was the same day. Because we I went to the art festival after I got done in Winterset. I'm not trying to get killed in Winterset, Iowa. I mean, it's not really where I pictured myself passing over, if you know what I'm saying. I'm being smart. I'm being smart. I'm being smart. Maybe as a kid I would have done it, but now at 24 years old, almost 25, yeah, I, I'm making business decisions now. You don't really use business. You don't really think about business decisions when you're a when you're a child or when you're in middle school or things like that. You just don't. <laughs> so I made a business decision, but I am ready for Saturday. I am ready. If we're looking at the two teams, Iowa, <coughs> offensively, uh, about as bad. Let's. What is the? Who are the worst offenses in college football so far this season? Total yards. Go all the way down. Iowa is bottom three. The bottom two are Middle Tennessee State and Bowling Green, who Iowa only had four more yards than Bowling Green in their first game. And Bowling Green lost 45-17 to in the front of a raucous 3,000 fans at the Rose Bowl against UCLA. And the Middle Tennessee State, they lost 44-7 to to James Madison in their first game as an FBS school. They put up 119. Iowa was 13 yards behind Temple. Hell, they were... What? Okay, quick math. Quick math. 21, 31 spots behind. <laughs> uh, 31 spots behind New Mexico State. And New Mexico State's terrible. They're buying UMass. Here are the bottom schools in the country in regards to offense. I'm not going to include Notre Dame in there because they played Alabama and they're a top five program. Or Alabama, they played Ohio State. Iowa State's got a good defense. But these schools from Georgia Tech. San Diego State, Colorado State, UMass, New Mexico State, Temple, Iowa, Bowling Green, Middle Tennessee State. Yeah, not great. Notre Dame didn't play great either. They, I'm not. I should include them there because that's also pretty bad. When you look at some of the schools down here, the bottom half of college football in regards to total offense, Iowa, and Notre Dame stand out like a freaking sore thumb. I guess Georgia Tech too because they're an ACC school, but everybody else, good lord, and it's a who's who of not very good college football teams. And Iowa sitting there after a 7-3 win against South Dakota State where they didn't even score a touchdown. So that's the reason Iowa fans are not confident going into this game. A reason they can be confident in the fact that they have a very, very good defense with one of the best secondaries and linebacking cores in college football. That's something they can hold their hat on. They can also hold their hat on the fact that, oh, Iowa State has not won against Iowa in six years. They haven't played in Kinnick in about four years. So... There's a lot of things going towards Iowa in this, apart from the offensive side of the field. Now for Iowa State, and another thing Iowa can feel a little bit comfortable in this, I guess, is Hunter Deckers. This is his second career start. It's his first road. I mean, he played against Oklahoma last year to a certain extent. Had a throw down the sideline to Brees Hall. Brees Hall made a one-handed catch down the sideline. But this is his first time in hostile, hostile, hostile territory. Being the main guy. Being the number one guy at Iowa State. Against Iowa's defense. I, you, Iowa State had a very, very good game against SEMO State. Very, very good game. Drew Brock had a very good game. Xavier Hutchinson, unsurprisingly, had a really good game. Hunter Deckers played well. Four touchdowns, 293. Only six in completion on the day. This is a different animal defensively than what SEMO is going to bring you. And I, I don't know if same – I don't want to say same thing offensively because Iowa's offense really played worse than SEMO's offense did <laughs> last week. 166 yards of total offense. Now, having some key players back, I don't know who's all going to be back, but Gavin Williams should be back for Iowa. Johnson's going to be back. 
You're going to have Nico Regani back as well. Hopefully those guys are all back. I guess I haven't seen Iowa's depth chart for this game. But that's going to be big. I, I'm not going to say that was the reason Iowa scored seven points. Iowa should score more than seven points and at least score one touchdown against South Dakota State, no matter who's playing. Now, in this style of game against Iowa State, do we see a little bit more of a shorter leash on Peters given how Iowa State is a rivalry game? It's a rivalry game. And the fact that I'm more nervous about this game than I was last week in South Dakota State because Iowa, every single time they play South Dakota State, should beat them. I know I gave South Dakota State a lot of credit going into the game and said they would cover. I never said one time that they would beat Iowa. I said there was a little bit of me because Iowa has those really weird-ass starts the season against like North Dakota State, they lost Central Michigan, Northern Illinois. But Northern Illinois at least had Jordan Lynch. Remember Jordan Lynch? Really good quarterback at the FBS level. Not really a... NFL guy. I don't know what he did in the NFL. He might, I think he might have moved to safety or something like Eric Crouch. I don't know, but he was a baller at North Northern Illinois. They went to they go to the Orange Bowl against Florida State and get shit stomped. Is that what is that what bowl game they went to? It was like Hawaii going to the Sugar Bowl against Georgia. It was kind of one of those situations. Where yeah, they have a really good year, but then it's not sustainable. Like to that level. Like North Northern Illinois is not a bad football team, but they were not ready for that. They beat Iowa, yeah. But, like, there weren't Boise State going in against, like, Oklahoma and playing Virginia Tech and all these schools and beating them. No, they weren't doing that. Beating Georgia. Northern Illinois and Hawaii were like that. They had one really good – they had a really fun quarterback. Hawaii had Colt Brennan. Northern Illinois had Jordan Lynch. They went into these games against these monster schools. I think Florida State for Northern Illinois and Georgia for Hawaii and just couldn't meet up with it. I don't know where I'm going with that, but <laughs> that's just something Iowa does – has done in the past. But, yeah, Iowa is the favorite. They are a three-and-a-half-point favorite over the Cyclones. Again, a team they have not lost to in six years. But after watching Iowa, just the, the past three games for Iowa, just watching those games, it is very hard to watch the Iowa Hawkeyes play football. It is extremely hard to watch them play football. I don't know how anybody – because I, I at least had a wedding to go to. So I had a reason to miss the rest of the game. If you didn't have anything to do last Saturday and you weren't at the game, I would love to know your secret for sticking into that game as long as you did. <laughs> I don't I don't know how the hell you did it. But we'll see about the quarterback situation. We'll see about that because the fans will be a lot more ruthless against Iowa State than they will against South Dakota State. So the leash for Petras in regards to the fans' eyes is going to be a whole hell of a lot shorter. Whole hell of a lot shorter. Like, if I'm looking at this game and who do I think is going to win the game, I mean... My gut or my my heart is gonna always say Iowa. I will never say Iowa State's gonna win this game. At least I try not to say. I might have said it last year because I wasn't really confident going into last year's game until they beat Indiana in the fashion that they did. I was not very confident going into that game. But Iowa State, they they does need to happen at some point. Matt Campbell has to beat Iowa. It's, it's going to happen at some point. I don't know when that's going to happen. I'm sure Iowa State fans would love his first win against Iowa to be in Kinnick Stadium. I'm sure they would absolutely adore that. But I don't I don't know. I don't know. Because I've Iowa really, all things considered, shouldn't have beat them last year. Like, given the, the preseason hype for Iowa State going into the season and how Iowa no one really knew, especially on the offensive side of the ball, what was going to how they were going to be, especially given what happened in the the COVID year. Like, I don't know. 
I'm I'm pretty much like 51-49 Iowa here. I don't think there's any reason for Iowa to win this game. Apart, like If they shut down Deckers and shut down Xavier Hutchinson, which Riley Moss will probably be shadowing him the entire freaking game. They're going to have safeties over top the entire time. I don't know. If Iowa State's off the line can hold up, I think they can win. Because Iowa's off the line is not very good. So if Will McDonald can get back to Spencer Peters, who cannot move. He's not Hunter Deckers. He cannot move. I'm just, I'm just very intrigued. This is the most 50, close, the closest I've been to like 50-50 in a very long time for Iowa State. I really don't know what I'm, what I think. I don't really know what's going to happen. Because I should be saying Iowa State's going to win given what I saw last week. But given what I saw last year, I'm not sure. And this Iowa State team, though they have some deep, like Drill Brock's pretty solid player. Same with Hunter Deckers. But it's not Brees Hall and Brock Purdy. Charlie Kohler's not there either. Mike Rose isn't there. Like, a lot of good players from Iowa State's team from last season are not there. But Iowa scored seven points and no touchdowns against us. I have no idea. I have no freaking idea what's going to go down. But there are other games in college football this weekend. There are other games, which is exciting. We got Alabama at Texas, which is a weird game, which back in the day, I mean, this was a national championship a dec- over a decade ago. Which, given how Texas has been the past few years, I, I'm kind of expecting Alabama to blow them out of water. Like, Alabama's a 20-point favorite in this game. Like, I texted my friend Ryan. Ryan and I are meeting up to watch some college football in the morning before Iowa State. And I was like, ooh, Texas-Alabama could be kind of fun. He said, yeah, it'll be fun until Alabama's up 38-7 to at halftime. Which, nothing would really surprise me. Like, I thought Ohio State would blow the brakes off Notre Dame, and that didn't happen. But Notre Dame... Is better than Texas. There's a lot more. There's a lot less hype. Uh, is that right? I think a lot of there's a Texas is a very Texas and Notre Dame have a very wide range of fans. So I'm sure in their fans' eyes, Texas has a lot of hype going into the season because of Quinn Ewers coming in, Xavier Worthy's there, Bijan Robinson, the best running back in college football. So like it's Texas does have some players, but then there's that thing. I was it Nick Saban has only had one assistant ever beat him, and that was Jimbo Fisher. Is that right? Is that the only assi- former assistant that's ever beat Nick Saban? Kirby Smart is another one, I think. So there's two of them. But other than that, is there any more that I'm just completely forgetting about? Has, has Lane Kiffin beaten Nick Saban? Has that been a thing? He's coached at Ole Miss and Tennessee, so he had opportunities to play him. I don't know if he has, though. But yeah, Alabama's gonna should win that game. Ohio State should beat Arkansas State fairly easy. They're 44.5 point favorites. We got Miami, Southern Miss. South Carolina versus Arkansas is pretty fun. Spencer Rattler against KJ Jefferson should be a fun one. I'm excited for that game. Wake Forest versus Vanderbilt. Mike Wright's looked really good to start the season, and Wake Forest might be getting Sam Hartman back. So that's exciting. Then we've got scroll past a few games here. <laughs> AM versus Appalachian State could be kind of fun. This is kind of sad. AM is less of a favorite against Appalachian State than Alabama is on the road against Texas. Texas A&M is a 19-point favorite over Appalachian State. Again, Alabama and Texas, Alabama is a 20-point favorite on the road. That is sad. Uh, Wisconsin-Washington State could be kind of fun. Cameron Ward traveling to Madison-Wisconsin. should be fun. That should be a fun one. Houston versus Texas Tech could be kind of fun. Florida-Kentucky at 6 o'clock on ESPN. That's going to be a really, really fun game. Anthony Richardson, see if he can come back after a very impressive performance against Utah. See how well he plays against Kentucky in his first SEC match this season. And see if Will Levis can have a little better game than he had last week. I know he put up over 300 yards, 
But it wasn't his greatest performance. Negative 18 rushing yards, we know he's going to want to improve on that. We know he's going to want to improve on that. USC, Stanford, Tanner McKee hosting USC. Stanford beat Oregon last year when they were a top-ranked team. USC's ranked 10th. A lot of hype going into the season for USC. Should be fun. We got Arizona State taking on Oklahoma State. And the night game, Baylor against BYU at 9-15 on ESPN. There are some really good morning games, and there are some really fun late games. I don't know about any F, like any other games that are going on this week. So Friday night, we got Louisville-UCF. Could be kind of fun. Louisville needs to bounce back after their performance against, <laughs> against Syracuse. That was brutal. Absolutely brutal. What other games we got? Keep scrolling. Trying to find the fun ones here for the FBS level. Virginia-Illinois. Eh, it could be kind of fun. It could be kind of fun. Other games, other games, other games, other games. UCLA-Alabama State. Yeah, I'm guaranteeing there's going to be less fans than what we had last week. Incarnate Word-Nevada. Given how well Incarnate Word played last week, I get it was another FCS opponent in Southern Illinois. It should be fun. I, I That would be a very interesting one. Kansas-West Virginia, anybody? <laughs> Syracuse, UConn, I don't think any of them thought they would have one win going into this point of the season, even though UConn played Central Central Connecticut last week. No, I just don't thought they would win. Oh, my God. Who else do we got? Anybody else? Keep scrolling. Nebraska, Georgia Southern could be a very interesting one for Nebraska. Battle of the letter I's, Illinois, uh, Indiana versus Idaho. Good one. Virginia Tech versus Boston College. Yeah, two teams that probably should. I uh, should not have lost the teams they played week one. We had Virginia Tech playing Old Dominion, who they've lost to now twice on the road there. And then Boston College lost to Rutgers. So I bet both teams are going to be chomping at the bit to get going on this game. And then Mississippi State, Arizona. Jane DeLura taking on Will Rogers. I am very excited for that game, too. That's another night game. And Eastern Washington, Oregon could be kind of fun, too. Remember, Oregon completely dropped out of the top 25 from 11th after getting blasted 49-3 against Georgia. <laughs> blasted. And for the FCS level, we're just going to go over the one game. We're going to only go over the one game. The one game that matters here, we got Northern Iowa taking out North Dakota. North Dakota lost their first game of the season as well, much like you and I. They lost to Nebraska 38-17. This will be a tough game. This will be a very, 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 very tough game. I'm going to take the Panthers. I am going to take the Panthers, but I'm not going to take anything away from North Dakota. They're a very good football team. This is going to be a tough game. Then you and I's got another another tough game coming up. They got Sacramento State. Like you and I's got a tough schedule. I've said before, it's a maneuverable schedule, but it is still hard because you're playing in the toughest conference of the FCS level. I think you and I should come away with a W though. So for my college teams, we're going to go with you and I and uh, for some reason I'm picking Iowa. For some reason, I'm picking the Iowa Hawkeyes to win over the Iowa State Cyclones. Cover? I don't know. But win? Uh, I think so. I think. I don't know. I just remember Iowa not being hyped about Iowa State last year. And Iowa still came out and dominated Iowa State. And Iowa's offense was not very good last year. It was brutal last year. I think it's, I don't know. And being at Kinnick, we've seen numerous times at Iowa that the crowd at Kinnick can be a huge factor in turning the tide of the game and winning a game they probably shouldn't win. But... I really don't know. I really don't know. So, well, I mean, we're going to move on to the NFL. We're going to go over our 2022-2023 NFL season preview. So I hope you all are very, very excited for that. I, I apologize that there's no video. I am very sorry that there's no video going into this. 
but I was recording it the other day, and my allergies have been kicking my ass recently. Like, I, I have been getting dominated by my allergies. Like, have you ever seen Iowa State uniforms, or the Chicago Blackhawks, or Manchester United? Have you ever seen that? Or, like, Darth Vader's lightsaber. You ever seen that? How red it is? That was the color of, not both my, just my left eye. My left eye is fine now, but I've gotten to the point now where the first game of the season is tonight. And by the time I record, I'm not going to record tonight. I can't record a video tonight. I mean, I could have recorded instead of a podcast, but I'm going to do the podcast instead because this is what we built the show on. So when I record this, possibly Friday, I'm not recording Saturday. And the first week of the NFL season after this game is Sunday. So why would I want to put out something after the season's already we finished the first week of the NFL season. I don't want to do that. I know I can, but it feels wrong. So this is going this is going out after the Bills-Rams game, but I'm recording it before the Bills-Rams game. I might put a little video together for this just to give a little visual for what we're talking about here. But for the most part, I really have... There's not going to be a video this year. And it's poor planning on my part. I'm well aware of that. We've had a lot of things going on. I've moved house. Like There's been a lot of things that have happened that have just pushed it back. And then I kept looking at myself. So I'd be looking at the lens and then I'd glance over at the screen and then I'd see my, my left eye was pretty much shut. I, I took screenshots of it. It's like, what the hell is that? I'm not recording like that because one, I'm going to be self-conscious about it. And then I'm going to have to watch that back and edit it and go, wow, your eye is red. And I don't want to do that. May, I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe I should record it anyways, but I am perfectly content just doing a podcast episode of it. Like we're going to go through all the record predictions and all that stuff, end of season awards, playoffs and all that stuff, but we're not going to do the video, which is sad. We've done the video for the past four years. We have been consistent with the video, but not this year. I'm sorry, at least with the visual, the facial stuff. Don't laugh at that. But without further ado, here is the 2022-2023 NFL season preview. I can't think of a better place to start for this uh, than the Buffalo Bills. I think it's fair to start off with (laughs) this team because it's kind of weird. It is a very, very weird feeling that I am feeling right now. (laughs) This is the first time in my life that I, and I never thought this would happen, that the Buffalo Bills would not only be one of the favorites to win the Super Bowl and not have a quarterback that was one of the favorites to win the MVP, but the overwhelming favorite in both categories. Bills winning the Super Bowl, at least making it to the Super Bowl, and Josh Allen winning the MVP. Those are the two most like predicted outcomes ever this season. Am I going to predict that? Maybe. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. But I've never thought, like, when you're sitting back and you're watching, like, we'll just go through the timeline of since I've been aware enough to watch football. So we had, like, Doug Flutie. You had Rob Johnson. You had Todd Collins. Not in that order. Todd Collins was first. You had Drew Bledsoe. Then you had J.P. Lossman. Then you had Kelly Holcomb. Then you had Trent Edwards. Then you had Ryan Fitzpatrick. Then you had E.J. Manuel. And then you had Thad Lewis. You had Matt Castle. You had Jeff Toole. You had Jeff Brom. Who else was there? Is there any other? Kevin Cobb was there for a little bit. Is there any other quarterbacks I am massively forgetting about? Then I would go Tyrod. I don't want to include Tyrod. I really don't want to include Fitz in that either. But Tyrod, Kyle Orton was in there. Nathan Peterman. 
A.J. McCarron was there, Derek Anderson. Like, with all these quarterbacks coming in and out of Buffalo, to think that one quarterback, that he was there with Derek Anderson, he was there with Nathan Peterman and A.J. McCarron and all that, but to think that the Bills would ever have a quarterback that would transcend and be one of the top guys in the NFL and be the favorite to win a major award like the MVP, I never thought that would happen. I never thought that would happen. Hell, the Bills won an 18-year playoff drought. So why would I sit there and go, yeah, the the quarterback of this team will one day, not naming names, but one of these quarterbacks will be the best in the NFL. That's crazy to think about. That'd be insane for me to think about. And then now it's reality. I never once thought that I would go to a playoff game in Kansas City and watch the greatest quarterback duel of all time. I never thought I'd see that. I would never think I saw a history-changing game in regards to changing the overtime rules and be there live and that the Bills would be the team that changed the overtime rule because everybody wanted to see what Josh Allen did in overtime. Josh Allen, and this is not even me being biased. This is just being factual. Josh Allen and his only, like, Josh Allen in the playoffs last year, passer rating in a single postseason, minimum 50 passes, has the highest passer rating in NFL history. The two in second, Joe Montana and Bart Starr, who won multiple championships throughout their careers. And both of them in those seasons won Super Bowls. Josh Allen's the only one in that top three that did not win a Super Bowl that year. Like, that was the greatest postseason that did not end up in a Super Bowl championship for one individual team. For how they played, like what they did against the Patriots, the team that has killed them for years, to do that in a game where everybody was like, Josh Allen can't play in cold weather, and to put a performance like he did, and then to follow that up, on the road in Arrowhead, one of the toughest places to play in the entire NFL, in front of me, <laughs> that needs to be lauded throughout the history books. And it's just sad that it had to happen the way it did, that 13 seconds will live in my head rent-free for the rest of my life, because it, it would live rent-free in the rest of my life anyways, but the fact I was there makes it even worse. And I am aware of the fact that that is one of the greatest NFL games of all time. I am well aware of that. But that still doesn't make it any less painful that the Bills came out on the wrong side of that. Like, I've had friends talk, I don't remember if we brought this up on the show before, but I've had friends ask me, would I rather have a game like that or watch your team get blown out? And this basically takes you back to the last, the year before in the AFC Championship game. Would I rather have that Bills-Chiefs game or this year's Chiefs game? I'd rather have that one, the one last two years ago in the AFC Championship game. That was a whole hell of a lot less painful than the one against the Chiefs. I didn't cry after the, the AFC Championship game. I was with Brady in the crowd. Like, there was so much emotion going on in that game where you didn't know what, what was going to happen. You didn't know if anything was over. You had 13 seconds left. Brady literally leaned over me and said, well, I don't know why you're getting so nervous. It's over. I was like, nope. I've watched this team too many times throughout my life. I know they're a different, wholly, totally different team than what they were when I was growing up. But this team, it's still an aura around the team. Some, it's like the Chargers. Sometimes when you have an organization that just stinks from the inside out, those things don't leave. Like the Chargers have shot themselves in the foot more than any team in, that I can think of in NFL history in regards to injuries and to not reaching their potential, to collapsing randomly, to just making boneheaded decisions in the crucialest moments. Like the I've watched the Bills enough to know that that game was not over. I don't care if Josh Allen's the quarterback or Diggs is there or they have the number one ranked defense in the NFL. Because 
it came back to bite. They played prevent defense with the number one defense in the world, or in the world. I'm not going to be one of those people. Number one defense in the NFL against a team that had three timeouts, that loves eating up things in the middle of the field. Their best offensive weapon is Travis Kelsey, their tight end. He's not going to stretch down the sideline. Travis Kelsey runs a bunch of option routes and pretty much stays in the inside of the field. Why are you guarding the sideline, especially when they have three timeouts? Prevent defense prevents you from winning. That's one of the oldest adages in all of football. And the Bills came out on the wrong side of one of the greatest games in NFL history. And you look at what that team was. Didn't have Trey Davis-White. Edge rushing was a little bit of an issue as well. O-line was inconsistent the entire year. Started to show somewhat stability once the playoffs started. Towards the end of the year, regular season, like the last two games of the regular season and the playoffs, that's where the off the line looked really solid. Not great, but solid. And then this year, you bring in Roger Saffold one of the best run-blocking guards in the NFL, if not the best run-blocking guard in the NFL. And you also bring in Scott Questenberry to utilize. He's a utility player, can play all across the offensive line if need be. Ryan Bates has secured a starting spot for the Bills. You let Emmanuel Sanders go, who just retired, so congratulations on the career, Emmanuel Sanders. But Gabe Davis, I think, is primed to be that main guy. Or main guy, the number two guy behind Stephon Diggs. I think he's ready for that. The Bills' rush offense is nothing spectacular, but they brought in James Cook. Brian James Cook, who can play outside if need be, which is why I wanted Travis Etienne in the 2021 NFL draft. Exactly why I wanted him. A running back you can split out wide, and he make, gives you an extra element to that offense. Devin Singletary and Zach Moss do not provide that other option. I like both of them. I like both of them. Zach Moss will be the Bills' red zone guy this year. I like both of them. But James Cook provides that other element, and I think he's bigger than both of them. He might not be as, like, Big, big as Zach Moss, but I think he's taller than him. Like, the offense, is and he lost Brian Dable, he went to the Giants, that's fine. Dorsey being the offensive coordinator was the most logical thing there, and then bringing in Joe Brady as the, uh, the quarterback's coach. Stroke of genius. I don't know how the hell they managed to get him as the quarterback's coach, how he didn't get an offensive coordinator job. The only reason he, like, just getting fired from Carolina, I still get kind of confused about that whole situation. But bringing him as the quarterback's coach? That's beautiful. And on the defensive side, Trey White is going to be out for the first few games of the season. You drafted Kyrie Elam. Love that draft pick. Bedford's been awesome. He was a six-round draft pick for Villanova. Great pickup in the late rounds. Uh, crap, who else did they bring in? So you guys still got Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. Jordan Poyer still won an extension. Oh, a silly Logan. Did I forget about one key player? Did I forget about somebody when we were talking about, um, hmm, Big name players they did. I forget about somebody. Oh, yes, you have, Logan. Oh, he goes by the name of Vonald Miller. Otherwise known as Vaughn Miller. I don't know if his name... I don't know what his first... Is his name just Vaughn? It probably is, but I, <laughs> it's fun to just think of the... Oh, Vonnie. Vonnie... I'm, I don't even know how to say his middle name. B.V. Sean? B.V. Sean Miller? It's literally B apostrophe V apostrophe at Sean. No, not even apostrophe after the V. B.V. Sean Miller, one of the greatest edge rushers of his time. A guy that has said he thought he was going to be a Buffalo Bill when they drafted, when the Broncos drafted him second overall, the Bills were sitting third, drafted Marcel Darius. He thought he was going to be a Buffalo Bill, and it just didn't work out like that. Then he went on to be the spearhead of one of the greatest defenses of the modern era for the Denver Broncos. Then he went on to the Rams, won a Super Bowl there as well, and now he's with the Bills. And he said, they're going to win a Super Bowl without me. I might as well be here when they win it. Like that, the mindset of Von Miller 
is so much greater than what he even can provide on the field. And he's still, he's not done. Von Miller ain't done. But just having him there will be so big for the likes of Greg Rousseau, for A.J. Epineza, for Carlos Basham. Just having someone that's been there, done that, one of the greatest edge rushers of his time, is massive. That is the biggest free agent signing in the Bills' history. That is the greatest free agent signing of all time for Buffalo Bills' history. Stephon Diggs is the greatest trade. Von Miller is the greatest free agent signing. Like, it's just crazy to get Von Miller. This is the first time the Bills have ever had a Super Bowl MVP on their roster. First time ever. So you want to talk about how I was saying earlier about thinking the Bills would be a Super Bowl favorite? Hell, they haven't even had a former Super Bowl MVP on their roster. And there's been some not very good Super Bowl MVPs in time that have had one good game and then have done nothing else the rest of their careers. There's been multiple of those people. Von Miller ain't one of those people. He ain't one of those guys. They got Terrell Bernard in there as well, linebacker slash safety mix from Baylor. Nice little get up there as well. You still got Matt Milano. Tremaine Edmonds is there as well. Taron Johnson, one of the best nickel corners in the entire league. Like, I'm just so excited for this season. Do I want to bite down on the hype and say that this team is the best team in the NFL? I don't know. I, I would like to be the underdogs. I like the underdog mentality. I love that people would look past a team like this. That wouldn't go and think, oh, the Buffalo Bills are the best team in the NFL. They have the best quarterback. We're going to vote them for Super Bowl. Like The entire NFL Network staff said the Bills were going to make it to the Super Bowl against the who's who of NFC teams. Like The Bills are that, that team, and it's so weird for me to think about. I don't know how it is for you guys if you're neutrals to not watching the Bills, but for someone that sat down and watched some terrible football in their time, to think that that team is going to be a Super Bowl favorite and the favorite is a ridiculous thing to think about. You look at their practice squad. They got Tavon Austin, Duke Johnson's on their practice squad. Like People just want to be around this team because they know they're going to do something special this year, at least hope, knock on wood, of course. Now, they do have Bobby Hart, which is a little bit of a concern, a little bit of a concern, one of the worst tackles in the NFL. But he has transitioned to guard. He has played some right guard in the preseason. David Questenberry, and I said Scott. Scott was the center for the Chargers. David Questenberry, his brother, has played more right tackle. Spencer Brown's coming back from a back injury, so Questenberry's been lining up at right tackle. Spencer Brown, to my knowledge, is starting at right tackle tonight. Former UNI Panthers, let's go. But there's so much fun. This team is just, it's crazy to think about. It's absolutely insane to think about. Now, keeping it in the division, I... Maybe I'm being mean. Maybe I'm being a mean person, but I don't really think any of these teams in the division really push the Bills like a lot of people think they are. Like, okay, so second place in this division, I got the Dolphins. And the Dolphins, to me, from last year, are similar-ish to the Jets from a few years ago. Remember when, we've talked about this on the show before, when the Jets went, I believe, 7-9, and nine, I believe, and they won like six of their last eight games. But their six of the last eight games were against the worst teams in the NFL. And people were hyping them up for great things the next season. I feel like that's kind of the same thing to the Dolphins. Maybe not to the same hype. Because not a lot of people rate, like had two as high as Sam Darnold when he got drafted. So people want to see Sam Darnold succeed. And the Dolphins did make a coaching change. But they brought in Tyreek Hill. They brought in Taron Armstead. They have a really solid defensive base. You got an offensive-minded coach who worked wonders with the San Francisco 49ers last year using Debo Samuel in all different forms. But you look at what the Dolphins did last year. They started off 1-7, finished 9-8. and eight. Do I think, and you look at some of the teams they beat in that time frame. The Texans, 
who had the third overall pick. The Ravens without Lamar Jackson. The Jets. The Panthers. The Giants. The Jets again. The Saints without really any semblance of a quarterback. And the Patriots. On the last week of the regular season. They lost to the Titans 34-3. to So in their, fat, their past, what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nine games, they won eight of them. They won eight of their last nine games to finish nine and eight. I think this year... I'm not going to say the Dolphins are going to take a giant step forward. I just think they're going to be a lot more consistent than what they were last year, if that makes any sense. So I don't think they're going to go out there and you're going to see them win 12 games right away. I could be really wrong. I could be wrong about that. But they won nine games last year playing against some of the worst teams in the NFL, starting off horrifically. And people were going to, there's going to be some people out there going to be like, oh, they're going to carry that momentum into the season, but the Jets carried that momentum to the second overall pick in the draft. I'm not saying the Jets are going to, the Dolphins are going to do that because I think they got better players than Russell. The Jets didn't have a Tyreek Hill in their roster when they had the second overall pick. Do I rate Tua that highly? Not necessarily. And I'm I'm getting sick and tired of the the Tua propaganda. Like I thought this was funny. The I saw this on Twitter. I don't remember who posted this list, but it, oh Warren Sharp, Warren Sharp's most accurate QBs. Tua came in at eighth. This is the most accurate. What are you talking about? This is the most accurate quarterback in NFL history. When he pees, he only hits the water. He doesn't hit the bowl or anything. He's so accurate. And he's eighth. I've been told this is the most accurate quarterback in pretty much NFL history. And hell, the history of football. And he's in the eighth. No, eight out of 32 is still pretty impressive for just starting quarterbacks. We don't know how many other quarterbacks you want to list in there in the NFL. But it's out of the 32 starters coming eighth. That's pretty impressive. Not going to lie. Like Mahomes, Allen, and Rodgers aren't even on that list, which I think is crazy. Aaron Rodgers is not on that list. I don't know if this is like facts, like statistic based or something. But like those three not being on there, Tom Brady's not on there, Joe Burrow's on there, Herbert's on there. But no Brady, no Mahomes, no Allen, no Rodgers. I think that's crazy, especially not having Aaron Rodgers on there. I think that's a little crazy. But the Dolphins, they didn't have a run game last year. They brought in Chase Edmonds, they brought in Raheem Mostert. Who worked with McDaniel's at a out in Car- uh, Carolina, out in San Francisco? So I'm excited to see what he does. I am excited to see what Mike McDaniel does this year as the Dolphins' new head coach. Different style, completely. Because the thing that's going to be big this year, I don't know if he's going to be as good of a as a coach coach as Brian Flores. But I can guarantee you one thing: he ain't going to hate Tua more than Brian Flores did. At least at the start. At least at the start, he's not going to hate him as much. Like Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Mike Gusecki, they brought in Taron Armstead to improve a really bad offensive line. Brian Melvin Ingram as well has been around the NFL for a little bit now. They got a solid team, but I'm not going to – again, I don't think they took the massive leaps forward that people did. I think they're going to go 9-8 and eight again, which is crazy, but I think they finished second in the division at 9-8. and eight. I could be completely wrong about that. They could have a really good season. I could see them winning 10 games. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised they won 10 games, to be honest. Somewhere between 9 and 10 games. I think that's where they'll be. Like, you look at like their schedule last year, how bad they were at the start. It's not something to go like, oh, they they did this. No, they just played terrible, terrible teams. And first-year head coach, Mike McDaniels, again, could be a legendary coach in his first year. We've seen first-year coaches do amazing things. Hell, Sean McVay took over the Rams and, again, has not had a losing record in his entire existence as the Rams head coach. Has been to two Super Bowls. Maybe Mike McDaniel does something like that. 
Maybe. I don't think so, but maybe he does. But 9-8 and eight for the Dolphins. Third place, we got the Patriots. And the Jets last. I mean, it's not really crazy there. The Patriots won 10 games last year. I don't remember what I predicted them to win last year, but they I, they didn't improve, like, at all. Mac Jones being ranked the 85th best player in the NFL is still kind of crazy to me. I think he'll be fine in his second year as a starter. But you brought in Devontae Parker from Miami. If he stays healthy, that's nice, but he hasn't been healthy in a few years now. And he's played 16 games one time his entire career. Like, I like him when he's healthy, but he's not healthy. Running backs are going to rotate. I do like the, the fact they drafted Pierre Strong. Ramondre Stevenson's supposed to have a really good year this year. Damian Harris killed the Bills last year. Rushed for over 200 yards against the Bills in the first game anyways. But their wide receivers aren't great. Their offensive line is nothing really that special. They lost Shaq Mason. They brought back Trent Brown, who I think was there last year. Drafted Cole Strange in the first round from Tennessee Chattanooga. Defensively, you lost Kyle Van Noy. You lost J.C. Jackson, Mr. INT, which is massive and really didn't do a whole lot to replace him. You drafted Marcus Jones from from Houston, which is a nice get. I like Marcus Jones. You brought in Jabril Peppers. Like, you brought in all these, like, nothing that says, yeah, we're going to... This team's not better than what it was last year. I I think the pay... I have them at 8-9. I could see them going 7-10, and 10, to be honest. So 7-10, 8-9 for the Patriots this year. And then last, I mean, there's no surprise for guess who's coming last. It's the Jets. Now, Zach Wilson... I'm excited to see what he does once he comes back. Joe Flacco has been announced as the starter for the Jets, which he's playing the Ravens. Nice revenge game. We got a lot of revenge games going on this week. We got a lot of revenge games. We got Joe Flacco taking on the Ravens. We got Russell Wilson taking on the Seahawks. Drew Locke taking on the Broncos. We've got, uh, crap, who was the other one? There's one more decently sized one in there. Am I? For- There's one I'm forgetting, I know. Well, we got the Houston Texans taking on Deshaun Watson later. Oh, Baker taking on the the Panthers. Baker taking on the Browns. We got that game coming up as well. So Zach Wilson, whenever he comes back, I am excited to see what he does. The Jets had a very solid draft, especially in the first round, getting Jermaine Johnson in the later parts of the first round is very impressive. Getting Brees Hall in the second is awesome. Got uh, Garrett Wilson in there as well from Ohio State. Really awesome receiver from the Ohio State Buckeyes. Who else they got in the first round? They had one more first round pick. Oh, it's Sauce Gardner. Sauce Gardner was the fourth overall pick. So I like the picks they have. I like what they're building. I just don't think it's going to be something you look at this year and go, yeah, this team's going to be very, very good. They're going to be very, very good. They're very, very young. Losing Mekhi Becton's pretty big, but they did bring in Dwayne Brown from Seattle, who's a free agent. Really like that get. He's an older guy, but be good stopgap for at least the immediate future. This is the second straight season we haven't seen Mekhi Becton pretty much. This time for a, I don't know if it's a technical term, but the dislocated kneecap. Bad knee injury for Mekhi Becton. Not ideal for Mekhi Becton. But I like, the, I like what the Jets are building, but it ain't going to happen this year. I got them going 5-12. and 5-12 and 12 for the New York Jets. I like the piece they brought. They brought in CJ Uzama as well. I, I, I like the piece. Elijah Moore should go off this year. They have decent. Carl Lawson is going to be back and hopefully fully healthy. I like what the Jets did, but I just don't see them doing anything that crazy this year. So I'm going to have them going 5 and 12. They're going to come in last in the division. I don't know what their record will be. 5 and 12 is my prediction, but that could be wrong. That could be wrong. Next, we're going to go with the AFC North. Now, I refuse to believe the Ravens are going to be as bad as what they were last year. 
Again, the Ravens had a shit ton of injuries throughout their roster. Lamar Jackson was hurt for a lot of the year. They had no secondary. They were basically playing with a USFL-level secondary last year. They got blitzed in every single passing category last year, especially against the Bengals. I refuse to believe they're going to be that bad this year. They won, I think, seven games last year and finished the season on a really bad stretch of games. But I don't think they're going to win the division yet. I think the division will come through Cincinnati this year. I think it has to go through Cincinnati. I get Super Bowl hangover thing, but the Bengals made improvements on their roster from the Super Bowl team. That off the line sucked last year, and they went into this offseason with a clear mindset of we're going to get new off the linemen for Joe Burrow. They brought in Alex Kappa from Tampa, Ted Karras from New England. They brought in Lyle Collins from Dallas. Like They made improvements on their off the line, which is freaking huge, literally and <laughs> the figuratively. It's massive. Their defense is still going to be pretty solid, especially against the run. They got good players on defense. They've drafted Daxton Hill late in the first round, which is an awesome pickup for them. He can play their nickel corner, can play safety, can play pretty much wherever. Dude's an absolute baller in the secondary. Joe Burrow's still there. Joe Mixon, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. Bringing in Trent Taylor's a pretty underrated signing as well. Hayden Hurst, they brought him in at tight end to replace C.J. Uzamu, just as we just said, went to the New York Jets. I refuse to believe the, the Bengals will miss the playoffs this year. I, I have a hard time believing. I've rotated this in my head a few times that the Bengals come in second. It was between them and the Ravens. and I that, like It's going to be close. I refu- Again, I just refuse to believe the Ravens are going to be as bad as what they were last year because I, I don't think they'll be as injured as what they were last year. But I still have the Bengals winning the division. I have the Bengals going 11-6 this year. 11-6. For the Cincinnati Bengals. And I have the same thing for the Ravens. I think the Ravens will go 11-6 and six as well. And we did the playoff predictor thing. So we went through every single game of the season. And that's how we came up with the records. So every single game. this is at, Did I say the Bills record? Bills went 13-4. and four. I don't think I said the Bills record. If I did, I, I'm just repeating it. But I might as well say it again. Because I don't think I said it earlier. But the Ravens, look. Lamar Jackson's back. J.K. Dobbins will be healthy, hopefully. I understand they traded away Marquise Hollywood-Brown. But they did draft Rashad Bateman in the first round last year. Like, Rashad Bateman is a good wide receiver. Mark Andrews is still there. Isaiah Likely went off in the preseason. Like, they have good players on their team. They just haven't really needed to use them, especially since Lamar didn't play. So, Rashad Bateman, Tylen Wallace didn't really get to show off anything last year. And then didn't have any running backs at the start of the year. David Ojabo, they drafted him in the second round, which is an awesome get, even though he's coming off a torn Achilles. Ronnie Stanley... I just hope he stays healthy, but bringing in Tyler Linderbaum in the first round, getting Daniel Falele there as well. The Ravens have a good roster. They got Travis Jones from UConn as well. I like what they got. I like what they have. They got Kyle Hamilton. Like there's I, The Ravens cannot be as bad as what they were last year. They can't. Lamar Jackson, I expect him to have a very nice season this year. A very nice season. Not necessarily, I don't think he'll win the MVP or be at that level of what he was in his second year in the NFL. But I think we'll see him back. And I still have him in a top 10 quarterback in the NFL pretty convincingly. But there are people out there that are Lamar Jackson doubters that do not like Lamar Jackson for whatever reason. But I like Lamar. Hell, I love Lamar Jackson. I think he's going to have a very good season this year. This team is good. If they can stay healthy, that's all they need to do. If they can do that, this team will win 11 games this year. I have him 11 and 6. Joint division champions with the Bengals, but coming in second in regards to tiebreakers and stuff like that. So I have them 11-6. Next, we have the Pittsburgh Steelers. I know, pretty surprising. 
the Steelers and Browns are very interesting. I guess we'll get to the Browns here in a little bit. Start with the Steelers. No Ben Roethlisberger. First time in however many years Big Ben has not been there as a quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers, which is weird to think about. And they are going into the season with Mitchell Trubisky as a starter. This is the first time since 2007 that a rookie will not start opening day. And the only one that was really in the running for starting opening day for the rookies was Kenny Pickett. And I have said on the show before, I don't know how you don't start Kenny Pickett. But I could also see a reality where you ease him into the starting job. I do understand that from Mike Tomlin's standpoint. A very smart head coach has been around the league, has done everything pretty much. I understand that. So Kenny Pickett will get his playing time. I don't know when that's going to hum, when that's going to come, but he will get his playing time. And I like what Mike Tomlin's doing because Mike Tomlin has built the Steelers historically have been built around big running backs. This team is built around Najee Harris. This is Najee Harris's team. Or at least on the offensive side of things. Najee Harris is going to go off this year again. You're going to try and stop him, but you probably can't because he's a freaking monster. On the offensive line, did they make really any massive improvements? Not necessarily. But this team's good. They're a good They're a good football team. I'm not sitting here and saying they're going to win a division or anything or even make the playoffs, but they're a good team. Defensively, they'll be solid as they always are. Hard not to be as solid as the Steelers. They built their history off the running game and defense, and that's what Mike Tomlin has carried on doing. Mike Tomlin's a defensive guy. Former defensive coordinator in the NFL for the Vikings. Like, this dude's a defensive guy. He's going to put forth a solid defense every single time his teams take the field. Like, G.J. Watt tied the NFL record for sacks in the season last year. They brought in Levi Wallace this offseason for Buffalo, who has his limitations but still a solid corner. Got DeMarvin Leal there as well. Like, I like what they did. They got Calvin Austin from Memphis, a speedster. On the outside, you got George Pickens, who fell to the second round. Coming off an injury, so I understand why he fell to the second round. We had him going in the first round. But he's a baller, one of the favorites to win Rookie of the Year, along with Brees Hall. At least for the offensive side of things. We didn't say that with Brees. But, like, Deontay Johnson's solid. Chase Claypool, do I agree with his top third, top three wide receiver thing? Eh, not really. Yeah, no, no, not, 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 not really. <laughs> Could it happen? We'll have to see, but I like the Steelers for the most part. I don't think they'll make the playoffs. I think the first year of Kenny Pickett or Trubisky or whoever starts at quarterback for whatever portions of the season, Trubisky is a captain. And when I saw that, I was like, I mean, he, you can be a captain, not starter. Like at William Penn, we brought this up when Kevin and Zach were on. Like Eric, well, we brought quarterback, but we didn't say this. But Eric Cooper was a captain. And William Penn wasn't a starter. Tyra Taylor got trotted out as a captain for the Chargers when Justin Herbert was a starter. Like just because you're a captain does not mean you're a starter. So when they announced that, I was like, okay, I'm not going to rule. I mean, that's leaning heavily towards Trubisky being the starter, but I'm not going to rule out Pickett starting. And then they named Trubisky the starter like a few days ago. I don't think it's locked in at all. Kenny Pickett will start. May I don't know if it'll be the second game. I don't know if you'll see action in the first game. But Kenny Pickett will get a decent amount of action this year. At least that's what I'm feeling right now. But I have the Steelers going, what, 8-9 this season. 8-9 for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then fourth place, we got the Browns. Talent-wise, there are not a lot of rosters better than the Browns. If we're just, if you're minus suspensions, minus all that stuff, the Browns have an insanely talented roster. Insanely, insanely talented roster. Like running game, you got Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. You got one of the best offensive lines in the NFL from front to back. You didn't have J.C. Treader this year, and you did lose your starting center. Uh, Nick Harris for the season. So that's going to be a big loss. We'll see how they rectify that. But like outside of center, Conklin, Benito, freaking Wyatt Teller, freaking Jedrick Wills. Elite off the line right there. You brought in Amari Cooper. 
to give the Browns a legit number one option. You traded away Odell last year. You let Marvin Jarvis Landry go to New Orleans. But Amari Cooper coming in for pretty much nothing is an awesome get. Then you got David Bell, who tore Iowa apart in the two times he played Iowa. Like Iowa and David Bell do not really get along. They do not get along. When it makes sense watching David Bell, I'm sure Charlie Jones and Tyrone Tracy watching David Bell are like, yeah, I want to play for that. So they transferred to Purdue. But David Bell is really, really good. He ran a slow 40. I think the slowest 40 at the combine are the receivers, but Jarvis Landry did the same thing. Jarvis Landry has turned out to be a very, very solid player in the NFL. I think David Bell could do the same thing. Donovan Peoples-Jones had a pretty good seat, has had a pretty good start to his career so far. Defensively, Miles Garrett is still there. Miles Garrett is a baller, depending on what, no matter what you think about him in regards to throwing helmets and stuff, beating people over heads with helmets, that doesn't matter. Miles Garrett is an elite player and will always be, as long as he's playing, as long as he's healthy, one of the favorites to win rookie of the or defensive player of the year every year. Every year. You brought in Perry on Winfrey from Oklahoma, defensive tackle right there. Very good pickup in the draft. Jeremiah Wosukormos in his second year. You got Martin Emerson from Mississippi State. You got a very solid secondary if they can just stay healthy. Denzel Ward is one of the most underrated corners in the, off- in the entire NFL and now is paid like one of the top guys, which I'm very excited, very happy about. Very happy about. I like Denzel Ward. But the thing is, with the Browns, though they have the talent and everything, there is so many distractions with this team that just give me a bunch of fear. And I, I am open to being completely wrong about this. It's just the fact that they have so many things going on and off the field. Deshaun Watson's suspension, regardless of you feel if he should be suspended at all or suspended for never playing down in the NFL ever again, regardless of what you think about that, it will have effects on the Browns. I don't care if he's coming back week 13 against the Texans. I don't really have the most faith in the world in Jacoby Brissett. I like him as a stopgap quarterback. I think for this year, it'll be a little bit of a stretch. I think next year the Browns will be really, really good. Deshaun Watson being the quarterback the entire way through. But I think there's just so many distractions with this team that I have them going 7-10. and 10. And that could be very bad. That could be a very bad prediction from my part. It could be very bad. But that's just my gut. The distractions will be there. And it's the Browns. It's kind of what we were talking about earlier. Sometimes the stink does not just release itself. No matter who you have, some stinky organizations are just stinky organizations for the stink of being stinky organizations. It's crazy. But that's what I have the Browns. So, division recap, we have the Bengals and Ravens finishing 11-6. and six. We have the Steelers at 8-9 and nine and the Browns at 7-10. and 10. And I'm open to being wrong about the Browns. I really don't have that big of issues with the Cleveland Browns as a whole. But... Yeah, that I just think those distractions are pretty. I think they're pretty big distractions. If I'm not, if I, and I could be wrong. I could be wrong about that, and I'm open to being wrong about that. But yeah, that's what I think for the Browns. Moving on to AFC South. Uh, this one's a two horse race at the top, a two horse race at the bottom. <laughs> it's gonna be the best. It's gonna be the worst. And I don't think either one of these teams at the top is really that special. But I am gonna go with the Indianapolis Colts winning the division. I like the Colts. I like Frank Reich. This is what their fifth different start opening day starter in the past five years. It's been like Scott Tolzien, Andrew Luck, Jacoby Brissett, Carson Wentz, and now Matt Ryan. They have five different starters. And I like Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan's not done. I don't think Matt Ryan's at an MVP level or anything, but I don't think he's done. I think he gives this team a better chance to win than Carson Wentz. I think he's got I think he's a lot less mistake prone than Carson Wentz is, and then having Jonathan Taylor there. If it weren't for quarterbacks, Jonathan Taylor would have won. I I, I know Andrew Cooper Cup won the the triple crown for wide receivers. I understand that. 
But I think Jonathan Taylor's impact on the Colts is greater than Cooper Cup's on the Rams, at least for last year. I think the Rams would have been great regardless. The Colts lived and died by Jonathan Taylor getting 100 yards and touchdowns. That's what their entire team was built on, was Jonathan Taylor. Their odds line showed that. Odds line, very, very solid. They brought in Bernard Raymond this offseason from Central Michigan, a tight end tackle hybrid. He moved from tight end in his junior season at Central Michigan. So he's gonna need to build you're gonna need to build him there. You're gonna need to mold him into what you want. But I I like the Colts foundation. I think they can build him into something very nice. Out wide, you got Alec Pierce in the draft. Very big, very athletic wide receiver from Cincinnati. Desmond Ritter's favorite target while with the Bearcats. You still got Michael Pittman there. You got Paris Campbell there as well. Tight ends, you got Jelani Woods from Virginia. Really like that pickup from him. You still got Quiddy Pay on defense. Yannick Ngakwe, you traded Rock Yassin for the Raiders for Yannick Ngakwe. You got Shaq Moore, or Shaq Moore. You got Shaq Leonard, formerly Darius Leonard, now going by his middle name, Shaquille. Shaq Moore's awesome. That dude is one of the best linebackers. Not the best linebacker in the NFL. I think you're talking about him and Fred Warner as the top two guys in the NFL. Depending on who you ask, I know Bears fans will go, oh, Roquan Smith's criminally underrated. I think he's underrated. I like Roquan Smith a lot. But I think Shaq Leonard is just a little bit better than him. Secondary, we already talked about you got rid of Yuraki Asim, but Stephon Gilmore is there. And Kenny Moore is a solid piece in the secondary as well. Like, you've got... The Colts still got pieces. Again, I don't think they're anything that spectacular, but I think they can win this division. So I have them going 10-7 and and winning the AFC South. Not a very spectacular way to win your division, but I think they can. Second place, I again, there's a two-horse race to the top, and there's a two-horse race for the bottom. I think the Titans are easily the second-best team in this division. The, the Titans, I think, are one of... Uh, what is it? Is it four teams that have made the playoffs every year, have had winning records every year in the past four years or something like that? Because the Bill, the Bills and Chiefs were in there. I don't remember who the other – I think it's the Packers. I think the Packers are the other team in there. And then the Titans. I think the Titans still have a winning record, but I don't – I'm not a massive fan of the Tennessee Titans. I'm not a massive fan of the team in general, and I'm not a massive fan of them going into the season. You lost A.J. Brown. You traded him away to Philadelphia. So that's a big loss. Though he was injured a lot, that is still a massive loss. In regards to run blocking and things he can provide for you in the pass game as well, that's a massive loss. Now, you did replace him in a similar-ish wide receiver in Traylon Burks, who I really, really like from Arkansas, who was really the entire offense for Arkansas last season. K.J. Jefferson did his thing for Arkansas, but Traylon Burks was their main guy. You watch games like they did against Alabama. They just played really, really well. I believe, I think, if I'm remembering right, it was against Alabama. Then you got Robert Woods, who's coming off a torn ACL. We'll see how he recovers from that. And then you brought the everybody's the quarterback that everybody wants to see start at some point is Malik Willis. And after I feel kind of I feel somewhat bad for Ryan Tannehill. To a certain extent, I feel somewhat bad for Ryan Tannehill. Because Ryan Tannehill is coming off of the worst game of his career against Cincinnati Bengals, where he threw three terrible interceptions. Malik Willis before the draft even started, was one of the most likable players in the draft. And he got drafted by the Titans. The pressure on Tannehill throughout the entire season will be insane because he's coming off the worst game of his career. And the noise and the push for Malik Willis to start is going to be crazy, especially the early portion of the season. And if the Titans don't play that well throughout portions of the seasons, Malik Willis will be a starter for the Tennessee Titans at some point. He will play games. Malik Willis will not sit out the entire season. Malik Willis will play. I don't know how much of a role he'll play in those games, but he will get at least a play a game, I would imagine. 
And then we didn't even talk about him. I don't know why we didn't talk about him. Derrick Henry, when healthy, is one of the best running backs in the NFL. Like last year, he sat out. He got hurt, I think, week nine. And for the next like five weeks, you're in the top five rushing yards in the league, which is ridiculous. The Titans live and die. It's like the Colts. Titans live and die by Derrick Henry. Except the difference from the Colts, the Titans, Ryan Tannehill is coming off a very bad game. I know it's an individual game, but it's a massive game, and people will not forget about that. You're the number one seed in the AFC. You're hosting the Bengals, and you play a game like that, and a game you probably should have won. And all things considered, the Titans lost by, what, three points in that game? And a few of those turnovers by Tannehill were driving into Cincinnati Bengals territory. Their defense had nine sacks in the game, eight, nine sacks. So people are going to remember that. And the motivation or the the ripple effects from that game will carry on at least to the early portion of the season. But if Derrick Henry can stay healthy, not having him was massive last year, but if he can stay healthy, that's huge, literally and figuratively, because he's a massive human being. They got Nicholas Petit Ferrer from Ohio State, who got torn to asshole by Aiden Hutchinson. Same with the entire offensive line for Ohio State in that game against Michigan last year. But he's the starting right tackle. He got named the starting right tackle, which I'm very excited about. He's a good tackle apart from that one game. Apart from that, that dude, literally, from one game, went from a first-round draft pick to I think he went in the third round? Yeah, third-round draft pick. From a possible first-round draft pick, just like that. Now, on the other people on the move over the defense, like Jeffrey Simmons is still there. Danico Autry's still there. Zach Cunningham's there. Kevin Bayard's still really, really good. You got Roger McCreary in from Auburn. People are worried about his T-Rex arms, apparently. <laughs> but he's a very, very good corner. Very physical corner. He fits the Titans' ethos very, very well in regards to what he can do. He's not afraid of getting hit. He's not afraid of tackling and all that stuff. Like They're a solid team. Solid being the key word. Not a great team. They got Josh Gordon on the, the practice squad. But I, I got him going 8-9-8. Eight, and eight. I got him going 9-8. and eight. I think they're still going to have a winning record, but I don't think it'll be much higher than 9-8. and eight. I think they'll finish second in the division. I think they'll miss the playoffs. I think they't miss the playoffs. And then second second to last place, third place in the division, we got the Jacksonville Jaguars. They cannot be worse than what they were last year. Just the fact that you got Urban Meyer out of there should just lift the spirits of the entire roster. And having a guy in Doug Peterson, though he kind of flamed out towards the end of his time in Philadelphia, Doug Peterson's been there, done that. Doug Peterson's won a Super Bowl. Doug Peterson's played quarterback in the NFL. Key things for Trevor Lawrence. And the Jaguars went in free spent this offseason. Now, do I agree with some of the money they splashed around, like getting Christian Kirk for that insane amount of money? I don't know. It's similar to what Alvin Harper got when he left the Cowboys and went to Tampa. Similar-ish situation. The Buccaneers were not a good team. Brian Alvin Harper, he did absolutely nothing. Was never a number one option in Dallas. Was always next to freaking Michael Irvin. Christian Kirsten never had 1,000 yards in his career. And you're telling me that he's going to develop like that into number one? Maybe he does. Maybe he does. Then you got Zay Jones as well. You brought in Evan Ingram as well. Like, the weapons are not great. But what is big for them? Getting Travis Etienne back. He didn't play a single down last year. He had Liz Frank injury surgery in the preseason. I drafted him, and then like an hour later, he hurts him. He hurts his foot against the Saints in the preseason. It was like clockwork that he got hurt. James Robinson still, still 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 there. Snoop Connery got him from Ole Miss. Very solid piece there. You brought in Luke Fortner from Kentucky. Drafted him this year. You brought in Brandon Scherf. I think you made him. The, I think he's the highest paid guard in the NFL. I could be wrong. I believe he's the highest paid guard in the NFL. Then the, going over to defense, first overall, you draft Trayvon Walker, who some people are very skeptical about. But he, when you look at what Trayvon Walker did last year for Georgia, 
or what he didn't do in some people's cases. They just looked at what he didn't do in regards to getting after quarterback. Didn't register a shit ton of sacks last year. But for what he was asked to do at Georgia, he balled out. Like, he was a ball, athletic freak. For how big he is, some of his numbers in the combine test as well as some of the wide receivers in the draft. Like, Trayvon Walker is athletic freak. When you look at Trent Balky and who he's drafted in the past as GMs and who he's been around in the scouting departments, he's a big traits guy. And Trayvon Walker's a big traits guy. And am I upset that they drafted Trayvon Walker with the first overall pick? No. Traits-wise, he has better traits than Aiden Hutchinson. Do I think last year he was better in regards to college football? No, I don't think Aiden, I think Aiden Hutchinson was better in regards to what he did on the field for Michigan. But Trayvon Walker was asked to do a totally different thing than what Aiden Hutchinson was. Aiden Hutchinson's job was to get after quarterback. Trayvon Walker was just to disrupt. And Trayvon Walker did that tenfold. Now, they also got Josh Allen, the other Josh Allen. They got Clavon Chice in there as well, who was a former first-round draft pick, just hasn't really worked out so far in the NFL. Chad Muma from Wyoming is an awesome get later. Devin Lloyd in the first round is a beautiful get. Love that pickup from them in the, sec- the early, in- late in this first round. You got Tyson Campbell still there, though. Though, Urban Meyer forgot he was uh, even on the team, said he played, and he didn't. Andre Sisko's a solid safety there as well. Like You've got good pieces on this roster. They're solid. This team is not bad. I mean, not, it's kind of a similar situation to the Jets. I like the direction they're going, though I don't like the money they spent. I like the, what the Jets are doing more because I'm not a massive fan of paying Christian Kirk as much money as he did and Zay Jones, even him, as much money as he did. But they did get some solid pieces. I do like some of the things they're doing, So I, I but I'm not going to sit here and say they're going to be an amazing team. I've got to go in 5-12, which is an improvement on last year. But I don't think they're going to be challenging for a division or anything like that yet. I think they got the pieces in place, but not this year anyways. 5-12. and 12. I like a lot. Like, again, this draft for the Jaguars. Trayvon Walker, Devin Lloyd, bringing in Chad Muma later. I like those picks. Luke Fortner is a good pick as well. Having Travis Etienne back is big. I like those. I don't like some of the money spent, but I like some of the players they did bring in despite how much money they did spend on some of the other players <laughs> on their roster. And then my final team in the AFC South, I don't really, I mean, I guess you can make an argument that the Jaguars are worse than the Texans, but I, I am going to stick the Texans in the last. I'm not going to be as ruthless and as mean as I was last year. Last year, I remember we did the video and I literally went, <laughs> look at their schedule. Where are they going to win a game? Tell me where they're going to win a game. And they ended up winning the first game of the season, which in hindsight, I should have done that, but the Texans aren't, like, they're going to be bad, but I do like some of the – similar thing to the Jaguars and Jets. I like some of the things they have. I like Davis Mills, but I think Davis Mills – and I've said this before. I think Davis Mills is in a similar spot as Gardner Minshew was in regards to if the Texans aren't good or at least competitive, if they're bad and have a top-five pick, they're taking Young or Stroud like or Anthony Richardson at this point. Like, doesn't matter. I like Davis Mills. I think he's got the tools to be a good, a really good guy. But if they're bad, they won't be afraid to go for a gener- quote-unquote generational guy in one of the three, at least two, guys that we mentioned. And C.J. Stroud's big Christian, so that could fit in with whatever the, with Jack Easterby and things like that with the, with the Texans. But C.J. Stroud's a baller. Bryce Young's a baller. Anthony Richardson's a baller. If the Texans are bad... I don't think Davis Mills has a real shot at being a main guy. And Gardner Minshew was a good quarterback. He's on a terrible team. He's a good quarterback. They still took Trevor Lawrence. Like, these things kind of happen. Sometimes your hand is forced, and if you have guys like that available, they're going to take them. 
So I feel kind of bad for Davis Mills, but if he goes off this year, then if he goes for like 5,000 yards, 50 touchdowns, then he's set. <laughs> don't care about what happens with the quarterback. He is set there. Also, young players, sticking with young players, Damian Pierce. Love this guy coming out of Florida. He didn't put up like monster numbers or anything at Florida, but in the little bit that he did do, you saw the juice that he has. He beat out Marlon Mack for the starting running back spot. They also have Royce Freeman there as well. They have Rex Burkhead as a nice third down back. But Damian Pierce is a freaking baller. Baller, baller, baller. We talked about him quite a bit going into the draft, and now he's a starting wide starting number one running back for the Houston Texans, which is really cool. Wide receivers, I don't, I'm not a massive fan of their wide receiver quarter. They did sign, re-sign Brandon Cooks this offseason. They brought in O.J. Howard, who got cut from the Bills, which is one of the uh, – I, I would say surprising cuts – from the Bills, but if you watch the Bills this preseason, and uh, especially in that game against the Broncos, the Buffalo Bills, Dawson Knox brother sadly passed away, so Dawson Knox was not playing, Bills starting tight end, and you would expect OJ Howard to go in and be that starting tight end, it was Quentin Morris, and then Tommy Sweeney came in after that, and then OJ Howard came in, so when I saw that and saw OJ Howard got cut, I was like, okay, I'm not really that surprised by that. I kind of saw the writing on the wall when Quentin Morris was the starting. No disrespect to Quentin Morris. He made the Bills roster, so good job on him. But when I saw that over O.J. Howard, I kind of was like, okay, yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't surprise me that he's the one got cut. Scott Questenberry, a guy we brought up before when we were talking about David Questenberry is now with the Texans. Uh, Kenyon Green, they got him with, I think, the 15th pick in the draft, which did kind of surprise me, not necessarily because of the fact that he's not worth that pick. Kenyon Green is definitely worth a top 20 pick in the draft. But there was rumors about a knee issue that saw him slipping out of the first round. So we didn't have men. It wasn't anything to do with talent. It was knee issues that were his problem. And he still went in the first round, which I'm very excited about because he's a very, very good off to guard. They brought in Jerry Hughes as well. Had a very, very nice career with the Buffalo Bills. Also brought in Mario Addison, another former Bill, to partner up with Jonathan Greenard, who had led the team in sacks last year. Regards to other players on this defense, they brought Jalen Petrie from, De- from Baylor. Derek Stingley, they got him with a third overall pick from LSU. If healthy... Derek Stingley is imme- like just immensely talented if he can just stay healthy, which is a big ask, but if he can stay healthy. Now, they did draft John Mechie in the second round. He's recovering from, I believe, leukemia, so hope they wish him a speedy recovery because he's a great player. Great player from all things considered a great person as well, so I just want to see him do well in the NFL, and I think if he was on this roster and healthy, he would be, be a much-needed spark for this team, but that's not the most important thing right now. The most important thing is that he gets cured and all th- as it looks right now, he looks like to be heading in that direction. So I'm very excited to hear that. But for the Texans, what do I have them at? I am 4-13. and 13. So one game behind the Jaguars. I don't think they're going to be terrible. But like 4-13 and 13 on face value doesn't seem like great. But I think they'll keep, they can be competitive. I think Lovey Smith will bring in a, a new attitude with the head coaching spot. Because last year, David Coley, and I feel kind of bad for the guy, he was set up to fail the entire time. He was never brought in to be a long-term answer for Houston. He was hired off the fact that no one else wanted this job. Not a single person wanted that Houston Texans job last year, and David Coley was the sore, the poor sap that had to take the job. He didn't have to, but he was offered it, so why not take it? You get a head coaching opportunity with the wide receivers coach of the Ravens, yeah, take that opportunity. It didn't work out, and he was made, he was the scapegoat. But there was a lot of drama that went on with the Texans last year in regards to the whole Deshaun Watson situation. But I do like some of the things they're doing. We'll see if they're able to win more than that, but I have them at 4-13. and 13. Might be a little harsh, might be a little harsh, but I got them at that level. And then the AFC West, 
I have a really, really hard time saying the Kansas City Chiefs will not win this division. Because when I was growing up, I remember there was every other year it felt like, oh, the Patriots are done. The Patriots are going to lose this division. The Patriots are going to lose this. Patriots are going to do this. Oh, they're not the same Patriots. And then every single year, the Patriots are still the Patriots. Like, yes, the Chiefs lost Tyreek Hill. Yes, the Chiefs lost Tyron Matthew. Yes, they lost pieces, but they're still the Kansas City Chiefs. And they still did retool. Their off the line is still very, very solid. Very, very solid. They brought in Ronald Jones from Tampa. Isaiah Pacheco seems to be a very nice late-round pick for them at running back as well. They got Sky Moore from Western Michigan in the second round. He was a guy I wanted for the Bills. Nicole Hardman, Juju Smith-Schuster, the last time when he was, you know, had, well, you know, he had really good numbers with a big bend that was healthy. And now he's got, he hasn't been with a quarterback that's been semi, at least semi-healthy since that year when he had 1,400 yards. With Patrick Mahomes, I think he can get back to over 1,000 yards. I think he, he can do that. He has it in there. Let's just see if he can actually get to it. Marquez Valdez-Scantling's looked really good in camp as well. Like, I like the Chiefs. They don't have Tyreek Hill. Sure. They've still got Patrick Mahomes. they still got Travis Kelsey on offense. I'm not worried about the Chiefs. Defensively, yes. Their secondary and defense have some question marks. I am well aware of that. Bringing Leo Chanel in from Wisconsin was a very nice draft pick. George Karlaftis, late in the second, late in the first round, was a good pick. Trent McDuffie at corner was an awesome pick. Brian Cook as well, I believe from Cincinnati. Like the Chiefs are still the Chiefs. Justin Ross from Clemson, they got him in undrafted, but he's injured again. I hope he finds some sort of stability in the NFL at some point because I feel really bad for him. He's had a bunch of knee injuries throughout his time in college. I just wish him some health at some point, but it's still the Chiefs. I we I know we did this the other day and said the Chargers have a better roster than the Chiefs overall. But I just have a hard time saying the Chiefs are going to lose this division. Carlos Dunlap's in. They got Frank Frank Clark there. Chris Jones. Like I I I just have a really really hard time saying they're not going to win this division. I could be wrong about that. I could be wrong about that. And I'm open to being wrong about that because I hate the Chiefs. I like the Chargers a lot more than the Chiefs. So I would be open to the Chargers being better than the Chiefs. But I just I am still going to hold on to the Chiefs being the best. And I have the Chiefs at what twelve and five. 12-5 and five for the Kansas City Chiefs this year. Next up, we already said the L.A. Chargers. I think they have one of the best rosters in the NFL. I think there's a serious chance that Justin Herbert becomes one of the top guys in the NFL this year. He already, Well, he already is, but the top guy. Becomes an MVP candidate. If the Chargers can stop shooting themselves in the foot and stay healthy, there's no reason this team cannot be an amazing team this year. But I have the reservations because it still is the Chargers. So I'm not going to put them at like the 14-13 win mark just yet. I think they have the potential for that, but we're not going to go there yet. I think some of the additions they made to their team were awesome. Love some of the additions they made getting freaking, I forgot his name already, J.C. Jackson, even though we brought him up earlier. Just completely, Mr. INT. That's massive, massive get for the secondary. Bringing in Khalil Mack to partner up with Joey Bosa on the outside, Sebastian Joseph Day. Like they have, they brought in really nice pieces, drafting Zion Johnson to help stir up the offensive line, getting in with the 17th pick in the draft, 17th, 18th pick in the draft. Love that get. Love the story of Zion Johnson as well. And then Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Josh Palmer, Jalen Guyton, Austin Eckler. They brought in Sony Michelle, Josh Kelly, Isaiah Spiller. They drafted him from Texas AM. Like this team is very, very good. JT Woods from Baylor, Asante Samuel Jr. Like this team is good. Bryce Callahan, Nasir Adderley. If they can stay healthy, there's no reason this team cannot compete for a Super Bowl. There's no reason. 
But again, the things that are holding me back is the fact that it's still the Chargers. I think they're immensely talented. They've had they were they there was one year they led the league in total offense and total defense didn't make the playoffs. Like that's what I'm talking about the Chargers. There's teams like that. And I know this Chargers team is immensely talented and Justin Herbert is insane. But I'm gonna still I there's things that are just holding me back to a certain extent from putting them in number one spot in this division. I am in second at eleven and six. I think it's a fair record for right now. For right now. That's an improvement from last year, and I think they're going to keep improving. Next, we got the Denver Broncos. I and this is I, well, I'll say this when I get to the last team. Well, the last team's Raiders, if you you know the division. <laughs> but bringing in Russell Wilson, bringing in Nathaniel Hackett, getting a different style of offense in, and getting a new quarterback in were the two main issues with the Denver Broncos going into this season, and they solved both of those problems. Russell Wilson's been there, done that, consistently been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, has won a Super Bowl, has been to another. That's what the Broncos need. From Peyton Manning to Russell Wilson, the in-between there has been a who's who of average to terrible quarterbacks. We got like Trevor Simeon, Drew Locke, Teddy Bridgewater. Is there any other? There's other quarterbacks in there that I'm just completely forgetting about. Did Brandon Allen start for a little bit? He was in there. Like, they had some bad, bad quarterback. Or that, just not to the level of what they were just at. And I get Peyton Manning towards the end of his career was not the same Peyton Manning as he was when they lost the Super Bowl to Seattle. But he was still Peyton Manning. Now they've got a quarterback that's back on that elite track, and they've got other pieces around him as well. Javante Williams expected to go off this year, the second-year player for North Carolina. Melvin Gordon's still there as well as a good option. Good option. Cortland Sutton. Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler. Yes, Tim Patrick's hurt. That is a big loss for the Broncos, but he still they still got other options there. Albert O at tight end. They traded away Noah Fant to Seattle along with Shelby Harrison, Drew Locke. But Albert O is a very good tight end as well. Off the line, I think, is a very underrated unit. Again, we talked about that the other day. Like Garrett Bowles has improved immensely since he was first drafted from Utah. Lloyd Cushenberry at center. Quinn Miners, Dalton Risner, Billy Turner. That's a solid off the line. And then defense, Draymond Jones is a pretty solid piece. Like, they've got good players. Nick Benito getting him later in the draft from Oklahoma, one of the best outside linebacker prospects in this last year's draft. And you've already got good secondary pieces, like Pat Sertan, Justin Simmons. Like, you've got good pieces in the secondary already. But I'm not going to have – I don't think they're better than the Chargers yet. I have the Broncos going 10-7. and seven. I think they're comfortably win above – go above 500 – but I have them at 10-7. And the last team in this division is the Raiders. And this is not any disrespect to the Raiders. This division is just freaking loaded. This division is going to eat itself alive. And I'm here for it. I'm here for it 100%. I'm excited to see what these teams do. Because I could see these guys finishing in whatever, in any order. Any order you could like fathom, I could see it happening. Like, if you put out... Any like if you reverse this list, uh no, I wouldn't say that. I I can't say that, but I I think with within reason, you could have almost any order you wanted in this division because there's so many good players. It was like a an arms race in this division, which is ridiculous to think about. Like the like all these different guys, these guys brought in, it's ridiculous. Like Derek Carr is there, very solid quarterback. Josh Jacobs, they brought in Zamir White as well from Georgia, very very solid running back. Then you got in Devontae Adams, everybody's top receiver in the NFL. The best receiver in the NFL for how many years now? With Hunter Renfro there, one of the best slot and one of the two of the best route runners in the NFL right there. And Devontae and Hunter Renfro. 
If Darren Waller can stay healthy, that is one of the best trios in the NFL. Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, and Darren Waller. I expect Derek Carr to have a really good statistical year. I have no doubt in my mind that he can put up really good numbers, but it won't really result in much in regards to the standing in the division, in my opinion. Offensive line still stinks. I'm not a massive fan of the offensive line. You brought in Dylan Parham from Memphis. You brought in Thayer Munford from Ohio State, but still not that great. Defensively, I mean, Max Crosby and bringing in Chandler Jones is massive. Trading Rocky, getting Rocky Asin in to hopefully help shore up the secondary is big as well. I've had massive question marks around the secondary. Nate Hobbs is a solid piece in the secondary as well. Linebacking core, it's all right. Nothing really spectacular. Like, there's not really, apart from the two defensive ends on the Brown, on the, the Raiders' defensive line, and then I guess you can say Rocky Asin as well, there's not really a lot of things on defense that are like, this is awesome. Now, Satir McCormick is on IR, but if he was in, he'd be another very good option on the run game as well. Like I like the Raiders. I like what they have here. I think Derek Carr will have a really good statistical year, but I just am held back a little bit just with how good the rest of the division is. And it's no, I don't want to sound disrespectful to the Raiders. I think last year I was really disrespectful to the Raiders, and I would like to apologize for that. This year, I think the Raiders will go 9-8, and eight, but sadly that's not good enough. Like, this is second place in the AFC South. This is last place in the AFC West. Like, the, there's this, the division's just so good. It's just so good. And I feel bad for saying that. I feel really bad for saying that. But when you look at the rest of the division, the Chargers, Chiefs, Broncos, they have so many. And I, I'm not a massive fan of Josh McDaniels. That's another thing. I'm not a massive fan of Josh McDaniels. I think he'll be good for the offense, especially given some of the piece they had on offense. But offensive line still is not very good. It scares me. The weapons are great. Crosby and Jones are awesome. Rocky Sin's really good. But I still got some question marks. So overall in the AFC, I think we're just going to do an AFC preview here. Given time constraints right now, because I got to get ready for the Bills game in here a little bit. Six oh eight, so we're gonna have the NFC preview for Monday. At least we'll attempt to have it for Monday. And uh, yeah, since it's not a video, I feel like I can do it for <laughs> for uh, podcast purposes. But for this show, we're just gonna do the AFC for now. But record re- record recap for the AFC side, starting off the AFC East, we have the Bills at thirteen and four, Dolphins at nine and eight, Patriots at eight and nine, and the Jets at five and twelve. For the AFC North, we have the Bengals and Ravens at 11-6. Bengals winning the division. Steelers at 8-9 and the Browns at 7-10. AFC South, we have the Colts at 10-7. Titans at 9-8. Jaguars at 5-12 and and Texans at 4-13. And And then the AFC West, we got the Chiefs at 12-5. Chargers 11-6. Broncos 10-7 and and the Raiders 9-8. And if you want to, you can go to playoffpredictor.com. Or what's the website? Next.playoffpredictors.com. Dot com And you can go to the NFL. You can go through every single game if you want to do it. I think it's the most accurate way to figure out records and stuff like that. Gives you, you're going game by game. So every record's going to add up. It's a, I like it a lot. I love this system a lot. It's stressful, though, because you want it to look exactly right. And it's records go back and forth all the time. But that's the AFC in regards to the playoffs. I have the Bills as the one seed. Chiefs as the two seed. Bengals the three. And the Colts as the four. And then the rest of the playoffs sits in as the Ravens as a five seed. Chargers a six and Broncos at a seven C with the Raiders and Dolphins just in Titans just missing out. The Dolphins are uh wait, the Raiders in this sim are the eight seed, the Dolphins nine, and the Titans at ten. Is that just given how the rest of this thing saved out? The worst team in the AFC recording the records is the Houston Texans at four and thirteen. Which again, I think the Texans can be competitive. I do think the Texans can be competitive, but I don't think that they're gonna do anything too crazy. 
this season. But with that being said, again, we're just going to do the NFC preview for Monday's show. I'm sorry about that if you were really waiting for the NFC one. I apologize. But hope you enjoyed the show today. If not, we'll try to improve next time. If you did, leave a rating on a five stars and make it a five-star rating if you did enjoy it. Make sure you're following and you're subscribed to also every single form of social media, but most importantly, the Apple Podcasts and Spotify accounts. And with that being said, I've been Logan Blackman. I hope you enjoyed the show. Again, if not, we'll try better. Hopefully the Bills came out with a win. You guys will know. I will not. Hopefully they did. Give him Sean McVay his first under 500 record of his career. And I will see you all later. Happy Iowa State weekend. Happy return to the NFL. Have a great weekend. I will see you guys later. Peace.